Welcome to the holiday edition of the Crossroads Podcast, where we promise to deliver you uh, the best infrastructure news in 30 minutes or less, or deliver you a free pizza. I'm your host, John Burke, America's editor, uh, and today we focus on 2020 uh, and what's to come in infrastructure uh, for the U.S. and in Latin America. Uh, joining me uh, live in the studio is Abigail Miller, Daniela Urias, uh, and then calling in on the phone from Brooklyn is uh, Jonathan Carmody. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, JB. Thanks, JB. Thanks for having us. So, um, Abby, uh, we've had a year, I think, measured by actual progress, I think, in the P3 market uh, relative to 2018, I would say. And there seems to be, and, and I almost say that because where there's certain processes that unfolded in 2019, there seems to be the promise that there could actually be projects executed in 2020. Uh, based on what we've seen before, now we're all crossing our fingers. You've crossed your fingers, I've crossed mine, because there's politics involved. Um, there's issues that come up all the time in the U.S. But why don't you uh, walk us through uh, where we're going in 2020, what we should be looking out for as the new year comes into focus uh, for the U.S. and Canadian market? Yeah, um, thanks, JB. So basically the 2019 market was highlighted by the the social infrastructure market. It was almost a breakout year for this sector. You know, we'd seen it before, but this year it really grew. Um, You know, I've talked to a lot of people who said procurement agencies, they really like these projects because they go a little bit more quickly. There's a little bit less political risk. Um, You know, it really shows that the P3 model can work, you know here's how, here are all the successes. Um, Just a few days ago, we saw a pretty big success with the University of Iowa selecting a winning bidder in the Meridium NG team, which shows the strength of the model. And next in 2020, it's looking like the University of Alabama is uh, launching a similar project. Um, So I'm sure we'll be seeing and hearing a lot of that in the next year. And other social projects that can lead the market in the next year, the LA Civic Center and the Blaisdell Center in Hawaii. Um, Blaisdell Center intends to shortlist before the end of the year. And so we could see that reach financial close in the next year. The LA Civic Center was pushed back a little bit. Uh, They said it's just pretty routine planning, but I think we'll see the RFP issued sometime in the first half of the year, hopefully before April. Um, And a preferred bidder could definitely still be named before the end of the year, but all considering that, I, you know, we can't promise anything. Um, another big success was that the St. Louis Airport project finally hit the market. Um, they are actually, you know, they're expected to short list bidders basically any minute now. Um, and so once that happens, it's poised to reach financial close in the next year, hopefully. Um, and that could be another big success in the market. Um, you know, we that's one we've been waiting for. And I think with all the planning they put in, if they do, you know, if they reach financial close, it could show not only the success of the model, but also the, I guess, the benefits of, you know, waiting and putting in so much planning and taking their time bringing it to market. By comparison, the Canadian market, which is, you know, usually kind of the, I don't know, the standard bearer. Yeah, the, the standard bearer. It's, it's been slow in 2019. Um, the IO pipeline finally came out. I think that was in August, maybe in September. Um, 
It was September. Yeah. In September, yeah. And, you know, that's very, very late, considering it's usually the beginning of the year that that's out. While it did boast the highest dollar amount, um, most of that dollar amount is in a couple very, very mega subway projects right in central Ontario. Like the Ontario line, which I was talking to a source uh, earlier today, said, you know, that, that project, because of the size and complexity and risk associated with it, because it's essentially 15 kilometers of tunneling, you know, that could be stuck in P3 limbo for years. Um, you know, I guess sources are a little bit skeptical considering the, the issues with the risk uh with risk allocation, and it's also, you know, it's it's kind of a contractor's market right now in that there's a lot of other projects that they can do, design, build, or more commercial projects, and, you know, why are they going to take the risk on a project that they ultimately won't make as much money on? But, I mean, you know, this, the Canada Infrastructure Bank, which the, I guess, newly re-elected liberal party, but it's a minority party, you know, they're, they're, really touting the the successes of that um some sources have been really optimistic about it said they've had really great interactions you know it seems like they're going to do big things other sources have pointed out that the promises that they have made are just promises that that the federal government would have made anyway and it just got pushed off to the cib so it looks like the cib is doing something um so that's i mean kind of interesting and uh, another source explained that all the projects that they've been promising to the CIB, they're so far off that it almost doesn't feel like real money that they're promising. It's, you know, it's, it's such a far off promise that they, you know, they don't have to worry about it in, in, in right in the moment. But to end on a high note about next year, another project that's looking like it could be promising is the Mer- Maryland Managed Lanes project. It's another one we've been waiting on. It's a, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think an $11 billion project. Could be Maybe more, yeah. Um, Jennifer Ament, who's president of Transurban in, in the U.S., said that um, it looks like uh, it could be a really promising. It looks like they could be considering a project development agreement model, which is just a different way of doing P3s, which she explained kind of gives everyone involved a little bit more flexibility and makes such a competitive and huge project on, a, on the bidding side a little bit more realistic uh, and reduces risk a little bit. Um, and, you know, Transurban is actually in charge of extending the Virginia side of the lanes upward. And she said that if they go with this version of the P3 delivery model that they would be more interested in it, in Transurban, I mean. Um, the DOT did see a shakeup the other day. Um, the direct or secretary of the DOT, Pete Ron, stepped down uh, to spend a little bit more time at home in New Mexico with his family. Greg Slater, who was the director of the uh, State Highway Administration, is stepping up and filling in for him. Uh, but apparently Slater's very popular. He actually took his last job from Ron also. He, Ron was head of the State Highway Administration now uh, and Slater took that as well, so it seems like it could be a pretty smooth transition. Um, so, yeah, it's, it looks like 2020 could be a big year, uh, both in terms of projects coming to close, but also projects coming to market and seeing some really competitive bidding. It's uh, good to hear, and uh, you know, obviously, it sounds like the next chapter is just going to unfold in the first half of the year in some of these uh, civic center projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it sounds like. Uh, Iowa, in and of itself, closing could be a really big harbinger, I think, in the university space. 
um, particularly now you're seeing it repeated. Ohio State, you, you know, it was done the first time, great. Uh, now it's repeated. The same kind of thing, you have a partnership, you have an upfront payment to the university, it gets recycled into focusing on education, which is where I think everyone's trying to unlock the value, focus on education, let private partners worry about the rest of the school. And so maybe that message gets brought forth to other large public schools. Yeah. Um, well, and it shows kind of that, that the underlying, you know, the, the thing that's causing success there, obviously it's the university's willingness to participate, but it is also the market, or sorry, not the market, like the model, the P3 model that's, that's driving the success as opposed to it just being like a you know, working really well for Ohio State, but not being necessarily a great model at other schools. If other schools can repeat it, then I think it just goes to show how how successful the model can be, and it's a really probably a really good thing for the market. So, from university utilities, we shift to listed utilities. Uh, Daniela is a research analyst with us, and she's been doing a lot of work in this area, um, and particularly um, comes at an interesting time for this discussion as we have. Uh, to utilities that are in the market for, you know, essentially take private transactions, uh, JEA out of Jacksonville, and uh, Santee Cooper, which is South Carolina, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to add a number three category, it's not apples to apples, but PREPA is also looking for privatization partners down in Puerto Rico, although the reasons there are more, um, well, it's a different story entirely. Um, so... Danielle, why don't you talk, walk us through um, what's going on uh, in this space right now um, and what's to come. Uh, and I guess it would be important not to acknowledge the fact that, again, this becomes a highly politically driven process in the sense that you are a ratepayer uh, and you face the prospect of getting privatized. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. We know JEA and Santee Cooper in the market how it gets to the finish line and how that deal structure is going to be very interesting to see. So I'll let you go away. Of course. So historically, this has been something that we've been seeing, um, consolidation within the utility sector. Um, Up to date, it's consolidated 60%, um, which is a large consolidation. Um, We're going to be seeing an increased movement in the M&A utility sector that we expect to continue in the upcoming year. Um, public utilities are finding their balance sheet constrained as electricity sales decline due to reduced consumption and energy efficiency improvements. So what that's resulting in is that large investor-owned utilities are turning to M&As, specifically acquiring regulated utilities, public utilities, as an alternative to invest in capital-intensive projects to increase the scale of their operations. So these large utilities are seeing these public utilities that are facing balance sheet constraints as an efficient way to expand their territory um, without investing a lot of money into these large projects. We've seen in the past, um, Scana Corp was acquired by Dominion Energy. Um, the sale came after Scana's decision to abandon the proposed expansion of the VC summer nuclear power plant, along with Santee Cooper. So Scana Corp wanted to privatize, Dominion Energy acquired them, and now Santee Cooper, which was within the, in the same deal with them, is now um, going through a privatization. In the past year, Moody's cut the sector outlook for U.S. regulated utilities to negative from stable. So this means that we're going to be continue um, seeing more utilities trying to take going to take private, um, being acquired by large investor-owned utilities. So we have Prepa, which, as you mentioned, isn't the same case. We have JEA. Sandy Cooper, um, to mention other utilities, we have the Bonneville Power Administration and the Los Angeles Power Authority, Authority, which were also downgraded um, in their outlook. So it's going to be happening in, t- in tw- to 2020. Um, hopefully, we'll see these two privatizations come through in that year. 
Recently, Jacksonville shortlisted nine firms, including Duke Energy, Veolia, Emera, and Nextera. Um, and in, tw- in November 26th, it was valued at $7.9 billion to $11 billion. So we're looking at those numbers for, for a potential sale. We also have South Carolina, um, Sandy Cooper. Their proposals were due in November. Um, we've heard that potential bidders are Nextera, Duke Energy, Southern Co., and Dominion Energy. So you see the same players being active within the sector. Nextera is subsidiary, Florida Power and Light. Um, this past year acquired the city of Vero Beach Electric Utility. So you, it's going to be the same players trying to expand their territories whether it's in Florida, South Carolina, um, and it's definitely something we're going to be continuing seeing within the ne- into the next year. Terrific. Um, I mean, I noticed the one thing is that you're not mentioning uh, how the infrastructure funds are playing this quite yet, but you know, we're, we're you know you've researched and we're all aware that there are a few platforms out there. Although it's not clear whether they're going to concentrate on these larger public utilities quite yet, but obviously somebody like Global Infrastructure Partners has assets like this, I suppose, where they could you know, go in there. Of course, we saw the case of El Paso Electric Company. It was recently acquired by J.P. Morgan Infrastructure Investments Fund. Um, so in 2018, they received an unsolicited acquisition, uh, acquisition approach, and that just spurred a flurry of M&A interest. And the acquisition was made. Unfortunately, the El Paso Electric rating was downgraded after the acquisition, so that's a different case. Um, generally, this is supposed to be something beneficial, but we'll see. Potentially, funds will continue to be more in, in, interested in the sector as well. Great. Well, thanks for that update, Daniela. Last but not least, uh, Jonathan Carmody. Uh, well, I think, uh, sir, we've seen a very, uh, well, another volatile here in Latin America go down. Uh, but we saw investment. Um, we saw tra- the traditional countries like Brazil and Mexico benefit from that investment on the at least on the M and A front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Chile uh, gets included in that category as well as you know, Colombia to some extent. Of course, it just was a very bad quarter to end it with all these uh, protests going on. Uh, in different countries, um, which just provided a kind of a, a bad visual on where things are. But um, perhaps you can just walk us through, you know, what's really coming in 2020, um, you know, take a step back and then walk us through what, what's coming next um, in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's important to take a step back because there were some really significant transactions in Latin America last year. And when we look at the, the deals that got done in the M&A space, certainly the deals that were awarded, even if they haven't closed yet, um, TAG, the, the biggest deal that information has seen happened in Brazil. NG and, and CDPQ picked up the, the gas network from Petrobras, just one of many uh, Brazilian privatizations that we're expecting. You know, we've got the refinery sale, which is accepting binding bids in the next few months. Uh, they're discussing Eletrobras and how to do the privatization there. They're looking to change the law to facilitate that. So I think we're going to see major activity in Brazil, major activity. You know, there's a lot of greenfield highways to be tendered as well. Uh, the country, according to the IFC, who gave a fantastic presentation at our conference, uh, really, really needs sanitation infrastructure. So we should expect to see some movement, possibly in the privatization of some of the water concessions. And, and yeah, certainly some water treatment plants and, and that kind of infrastructure. But again, I think you said take a step back before we look forward. 
one of the big stories in, in 2019 has definitely been the influx of Chinese money into the, the region. Um, some of the major deals that got done, both of the Semper privatizations, uh, not privatizations, sorry, the asset sales yeah. in, in Chilquinta in Chile and Luz del Sur in Peru, both went to Chinese state-backed companies. Uh, Chagia, the Odebrecht hydroelectric plant, was sold to a Chinese company. Um, it's just seems like at and the moment. And don't forget, these were these, on Semper too, don't forget, these were competitive processes, right? I mean, they were outbidding um, international consortium for these assets. Italy's NL made a lot of noise. Yeah. They said they were determined to bid for it. Um, we haven't just found out exactly what happened with the bidding, with the pricing, but uh, it looks like, yeah, the, the Chinese just stormed it. Um, again, the, the Metro de Bogota, we've seen that go to another Chinese t- team. Um, and some of the other rail projects in Colombia are also being bid on by Chinese firms, as are some of the projects in, in Peru, as we published yesterday, the, the Lima Ica train. Right. So, so we can expect a, a, that trend to continue definitely into 2020. Um, Parthos Sanyal at Bank of America gave us a wonderful presentation again at the, the conference where he described exactly how Chinese bidders are, are approaching the market. And the, the level of sophistication that they've now achieved is really setting themselves up for to be to be very, very competitive. Excellent. So what, what can you uh, tell us about the, the protests here that have taken place, you know, across Ecuador and uh, Chile and, and Colombia? I mean, and, and you know, how it's going to affect um, infrastructure development. Again, these countries have have programs for infrastructure development. Um, they're procuring projects. Uh, and, you know, it's safe to say all this will hit a standstill when all these protests started, but they were infrastructure related why these protests were in place in the first place. So, you know, what can you tell us about sort of the impact uh, that these are going to have on um, the Greenfields programs in these different countries? Everybody's got that question on their mind. And, you know, in Chile, a lot of the, the initial protests started around uh, hiking the fares for the, the urban metro system. Um, but then later it expanded into to more kind of social economic issues. Um, Ecuador had, had a similar problem, um, trying to push through reforms, trying to liberalize the country. Uh, Colombia is trying to push through a major tax reform. And they, they also saw massive protests that shut down the country in recent weeks but what I'm hearing from investors is is really that you know these are long-term bets they're making on these countries the, the contracts are long-term 15 20 year contracts and you know these are these are good tests for Latin America in their eyes you know they're trying to put a positive spin on it yes there's there's kind of discontent in the country with social policy and, and what's happening but there's also a, a feeling that these countries are you know becoming much more sophisticated in the way that they they tender concessions the way that they open up to private investment uh, Chile obviously is the most established player in the concession space we've seen many many uh, highway and hospital concessions in, in Chilean PPPs and and that's likely to continue the government's talked about its its massive infrastructure fund which it wants to set up to, to help finance new works to help transfer assets to to new developers 
they have a massive hospitals program, which they're looking to tender. So we'll, we'll be paying close attention to that and trying to see how the winds are blowing in Chile. But certainly, uh, I think the mood around Latin America has been around dialogue. You know, people want to talk to the protesters, take them seriously. You know, they've been incredibly successful at shutting things down. Now it's going to be a question of explaining, okay, what do they want? What's the coherent message from these protesters? And how good are the governments going to be at responding to that? Colombia is a good example of that. You know, they've had incredible success at attracting investment with the 4G program and the highways. They're looking to move on now to the 5G program, start developing new projects, start tendering new roads. They're also going to be tendering hospitals and, and other social infrastructure assets. And so, you know, this is a real challenge for them. Investors have said, we believe in Colombia, we're excited about Colombia, but this, we really want to see how the government deals with this. You know, are they able to, to weather the storm? Are they able to get back to business as soon as possible and, and to keep people satisfied? Or is this going to be a real handicap on, on how they tend to process it? So I think it'll be very interesting to see in, in the early months of the year. You know, there's plenty of plans, plenty of projects that need to get done. Um, investors are looking at the lips at the, the prospects that are on the table. But it's going to be a question of, of how the demonstrators and how the protesters negotiate with the government and how they come to some kind of agreement. Uh, let's uh, just conclude here with Mexico. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, you yourself have been covering a ton of M&A deal flow against like almost sort of a withdrawal of sorts under the AMLO government of like Greenfield projects. There's no federal program in place. It's all state run uh, at this point, um, you know, but yet you see this deal flow and that's the, 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 the compare contrast there. Um, <laughs> Where, where's the return for these investment dollars at this point in these mature <clears throat> projects relative to the fact that Mexico doesn't want to develop any new projects, which just seems a little bit you know, startling on some level? Well, Amlo came out with his, his plan recently. Um, everyone had been waiting for that infrastructure plan. He, he had about 120, 140 projects in there. Uh, a lot of investors said, look, you know, some of these are already tendered. Some of these are already awarded projects. Um, they're not providing new investment opportunities. So yes, there's, there's a certain amount of skepticism about what new opportunities are going to come into Mexico. We saw that Tren Maya fluctuated throughout the year between being a 90% private financed project to being a more like 10% private financed project. So they're still finding their feet, they're still realizing what they have to do and how they can do it. But there were definitely some very worrying signs in the, the renewable space. Um, we saw that they canceled the auction at the start of AMLO's government, so that would have been the fourth capacity auction in the company in the country. Sorry, um, and then later in the year they they decided they were going to change the sales re regime. So this is the clean energy certificates, which are a kind of renewable investment promotion scheme. These were able to be exchanged by companies were selling the electricity in a renewable project, and the government decided to apply those credits to historic projects that were owned by the government, CFE. Uh, this, of course, provoked a, a severe reaction from investors, and they've gone out and they've put out judicial injunctions against this program. So I think we're going to see a real tug of war in, in 2022. You know, these projects are valuable right now. If you keep the regimes and the positive kind of benefits in place for these developers, then they'll continue to be attractive. But 
how is the government going to behave? We still don't really know yet. We've seen worrying signs. We've seen these, these kind of arbitrary moves by the AMLO government and how they apply this kind of legislation to projects almost without warning. Um, but we've also seen that the developers are, are willing to stand up and defend their rights. And the courts at the moment seem to be siding with them as they've suspended the, the changes based on recent uh, injunctions that the private sector has brought against the government. So, you know, one of the things I heard when I was down in Mexico City is, is that really all of the projects that people are developing in the renewable space are for sale. Uh, whether there's a formal process or not, uh, everybody's listening to offers. A lot of people are looking for exits in their, their projects. And as I said, in the current terms, these will be attractive projects. We've seen players like Macquarie acquiring projects. Uh, we've seen other funds coming into the market. And we're really excited to, to see who's brave enough to, to go into Mexico, which are going to be the right projects. You know, while everything may be for sale, not every project is connected to the right point. It's not got the right load that investors want. So it, it's going to be a really interesting to see who targets which projects, which ones get the most attention from investors. But definitely it's going to be very active for the near future. Great. And uh, Paul Lines to watch. Well, that's all the time we got for the holiday edition of the Crossroads Podcasts. We're wishing you a happy holidays and a healthy new year. On that note, Brooke out.